as we read our scripture text for tonight from Luke 23. Luke 23, and this evening we'll be covering verses 32 through 43. Luke 23, verses 32 through 43. Hear now the word of God. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit of God, would you illuminate our hearts so that we can see this incredible, incredible event, this world, universe changing event and see how it has come now to be pre- present reality even in our lives, that we may glorify you by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we continue in the final days of our Lord here, in the portion of Luke 23, this is the portion where Christ is crucified. And so we're going to see the culmination of his atoning work during his humiliation, where, of course, Jesus bore the sins of the world. Where he, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the place where Christ disarmed the principalities and powers even made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them in it. And what we're going to see today is that grace of God where he conquered sin and death. It happened at Calvary, but it continues today in our life every day. Well, we have this man, this God-man, hanging on the cross, and perhaps imagine you're there watching, maybe even from a distance. It's unknown how many people were there watching, but it seemed from a distance, from the outside, we see this man who was not long ago proclaimed as king, remember the triumphal entry, Hosanna in the highest, 
He doesn't seem much like a king now. It seems that this man had lost. This man who had served and healed and taught, he, it seems that he had failed in his mission. He was not a conquering king, it seemed, but rather some kind of criminal, some kind of despised nothing of a man who would just be forgotten like the criminals that hung to his right and his left. But in fact, a very, very, very different thing was taking place. And by his deathless death, this sacrifice of the spotless Lamb of God was exactly how he conquered. This was the means by which triumph came. This is the means, this picture of a man being crucified is how the prison doors were opened. The death of Christ on the cross cross is how God ordained that man, that we, could live and live eternally. And that is our focus tonight. That even amidst this incredible, eternal victory that was won and where the elect of God were purchased and paid for and rescued, Jesus did not wait. He exemplified his work on the cross as a further trophy of his victory through the men to his right and his left, even while he died. So that's what we're going to focus on tonight. And as we sang earlier, as those who follow in his train, we are to be continually encouraged and reminded of the eternal victory in Christ. In fact, that's what we're to proclaim, right? That our God won, and he is winning and ruling and reigning, and we're to be continually reminded of this, by, of the power of his grace, for that's by which we are sustained, by which he enables us to even be part of his kingdom advancing work. It's by, it's by that grace by which we persevere, right? The perseverance of the saints, because we remember that we're not saved by the work of our hands, not by church attendance, not by some piety, but purely by the grace of God, which came to us through faith. Well, let's dive into this portion of Scripture, and tonight I want to cover three aspects. First, what do we do or how do we treat our enemies? Sometimes a question that comes up. Secondly, we'll see how the truth infuriates the lost, but it strengthens the faithful. And lastly, we'll consider the question, by what are we saved? So, to begin, we see that in this portion, Luke, Luke really describes uh, this scene here by jumping right to Jesus being crucified. Some of the other Gospels give us uh, pictures of leading up to, to how Christ was actually crucified, but we begin this scene with Christ on the cross already. He's there on the cross with two criminals on each side of him. And it's thought that perhaps these were the, the comrades of Barabbas, as you remember, who was pardoned earlier, just hours earlier, by Pilate. But remember that there has been no other scene like this in the history of the universe. The contrast is utterly stunning, what's going on. 
You have the sinless Son of God hanging between two guilty criminals. And we'll see later, they actually, one of them actually says, we deserve this. But the, the innocent is set to the same fate, it seems, as the guilty here. In this picture, the Lamb of God is forced into the same company as his revilers. The justifier is hanging next to the condemned. And these two criminals on both sides of Jesus, they mocked him, they rebuked him. We see that in verse 34. Then, they, then Jesus said in response to their mocking, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus was no stranger to ridicule, right? He'd been mocked before many times. He'd been hated. But this just added insult to injury. He's, he's there being tortured. He's, he's on the cross. And so this, the inflicted pain of the mocking had to be doubled. It's like as if the crucifixion was not enough. enough he was also blasphemed. But Jesus, even in that time, did not waver. His focus, his priority was on their souls, right? He wasn't thinking about himself even. These criminals mocked him, but Jesus prayed for them. He petitioned his father for their forgiveness. Can you imagine being mocked, being betrayed, and knowing you're completely innocent and just turning and praying for those who mock you? This is what Jesus did. And this is what we're called to do as well, as his followers. It's a high calling, brothers and sisters. It's one that we can only do in faith. So even to his enemies, even while being so wrongly accused, Jesus still loved these men to his right and his left. He did not hurl back insults. He did not fire back at them about their sins. He did exactly what he taught us in Matthew 5. Jesus there said, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's hard to do. Have you ever been wrongly accused of something? That's so hard. It's so hard at that moment because we all know there's a burning passion within us to defend ourselves and say, no, 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 that's not what really happened. That's not the truth. Don't listen to that. And, and, and I know for me personally, sometimes I feel like I almost want some kind of vengeance or something. I, I want the person that's wrongly accused me to not just deny it, but then somehow really take it back and feel sorrowful for such a sin against me. We want some justice to take place immediately to set the record right so that everyone knows the truth. But that's not what Jesus does. He gives us the holy example and he turns to his own gospel. He turns to God for salvation, for their salvation. In love, even for those who condemned him. And you might recall, this is actually the same response that Stephen gave. Remember Stephen, the deacon, 
who was stoned in Acts 7. Listen, this is Stephen gave his sermon, which was not appreciated. And so they stoned him. Not, not a good thing. It tells you your sermon was bad if people are stoning you afterwards. Or maybe it was really good. Listen in Acts 7. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him, Stephen, with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Almost exactly what Jesus said. He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen said, do not charge them with this sin. What faith, what trust in God to just, I mean, it's the absolute departing of ourself, not worrying about us that we're being mocked, stoned, killed, murdered, but turning to God because of a desire to see the gospel at work even in our enemies. Isn't that amazing? It's one thing to walk by somebody in Walmart and go, oh Lord, save that person. But somebody that's stoning you and to just to cry out. And you know what it is? It's because as Christians, we have received the grace of God and we love the grace of God and we want to see that person know and live the grace of God, isn't it? It's, we are addicts for the grace of God. Amen. That's what we want to see at work. It's a mindset upon God, even when reviled, even when being unjustly murdered, to petition God on their behalf for salvation. And that's only possible by faith. It's only possible with the full assurance of the power of God and a humble, low, right view of ourselves. Right? We could have sung the hymn. Another one we could have sung tonight would have been, nothing in my hands I bring. Right? I, I, I can't bring anything for this. What we care about, what we treasure more than anything in this life, even what we suffer for is that we want the gospel advanced. We want the grace of God to be known. That gospel, the, the power of God to un, unto salvation is what we desire above all else. That's our chiefest joy. That's our mission, right? When Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, what are we still here doing here? Why, why are we not in heaven with the Lord? He has us to do something here, amen? He has us to advance his kingdom, which is a kingdom of truth, of the gospel, of the power of God. So it, it matters. How will we treat our enemies? I mean, I, you could surely say that when Stephen's being stoned, those are probably his enemies. Well, I would encourage us that we should treat our enemies the same way we would want to be treated. Right? And how would that be? We, we would want the salvation of God. We wouldn't know it, but that's what we would want more than anything. We'd want salvation of God. We'd want repentance in our own lives that we may know God. In Psalm 109, David tells us that when confronting God about his enemies, he turned to God in prayer. Listen, Psalm 109, for the, 
mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful, he have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Prophesying about Christ. Verse 4, in return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. And that's exactly what Christ did. And that's exactly how we follow in his train. We pray for our enemies, right? Paul said that in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And Proverbs even instructs us that we're not to wish anything bad upon our enemies. We're to pray for the good work of God in our enemies, right? Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. No, 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 no. The call of our Lord is to love, even our enemies. Jesus said later in Luke 5, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so you do to them. May we love our enemies. Jesus, Jesus surely exemplified this by praying for the, given, for the forgiveness of those who ridiculed him. So this is a challenge for each of us, I think, right? We need to check our hearts. What do you do with your enemies? Right? Those who are against you. Maybe those who are against what you believe. Do you pray for them? How is your heart towards them? Well, secondly, we're going to see how the work of the truth, of the, the truth of God occurs here in this final scene on Calvary. We'll see that the truth infuriates the lost and strengthens the faithful. You might remember here from our passage uh, that the persecutions for Jesus is just ramping up. It, it's really just increasing. He's been mocked. But now, of course, he's being crucified, and it didn't even end there. They could have just let him die on the cross. But no, even to the very end, they had to mock him, right? Verse 35, the people stood looking on. Even the rulers sneered at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. He is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers mocked him, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then we're told this. There's this inscription, this sign at the top of the cross. Three languages says, this is the king of the Jews. Now, that's all that Luke tells us about this. But in the Gospel of John, it tells us a little bit more about that sign. The Gospel of John says, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. You get to like Pilate a little bit somewhere in there. But once again, the chief priests, these enemies of Christ in this case, thought they had won. They thought they had beat Jesus, and now they look like the fools, don't they? And Pilate knew it. Now he's mocking them, and they were infuriated by it. But that was the truth. That's what's ironic. (laughs) Isn't it interesting... Pilate was not a good man. God used that, though, isn't that amazing? To just declare the truth and shout it. And it infuriated the chief priests. 
Because they didn't know the truth. They didn't have eyes of faith to see that Jesus was the true Messiah. So we have to keep this in mind, right? 2 Corinthians 2 reminds us that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing to once a fragrance from death to death and the other a fragrance of life to life. The truth of God and His gospel are, is only received by those He's redeemed, that He's poured out His grace upon, by those He's called out and set, set apart and given eyes to see and hear. Ears to hear. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Amen. So, again, this is, you might remember 1 Corinthians 2. It tells us the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness. The things of God are foolishness to the natural man. They have to only be, they can only be spiritually discerned. He who's been raised to life. So receiving the truth of God only comes by the Spirit of God, which obviously is not at work in the enemies of Christ there on Calvary. And so they condemned him and they killed him. This is why we see the truth. When, when the truth is presented, it will infuriate the lost. Because it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to them, right? But the truth will encourage the faithful, right? And that's, that's even why sometimes you hear something and you just want to say, amen. Because you're saying, yes, yes, that's the truth. In a world of so much truth decay, we love the truth. We want the truth shouted. Well, let's read on, and this will take us to our third point, how we're saved. Verse 39 says, then one of the criminals who was hanged by him, said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal on the other side rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And if we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, notice both originally, or initially, as Jesus is on the cross, both criminals mocked him. That's how, they're both reviling him, it says, in all four Gospels. But then, one of the men, one of the criminals, was pricked by the truth. One was humbled for some reason. One repented. What? What we see is the awakening of a man before our very eyes. He was just condemning Christ, but now is broken. Now he's seeing his own sin. He's seeing the poverty of his own spirit. And this is the regenerating work of the gospel. The outward working of what our confession calls effectual calling. Right? We've studied this. Effectual calling. And I'm just going to read this from our catechism because I think this is exactly what we see happening on the cross to this criminal. It's the work of God's Spirit by which He convinces us of our sin and misery. Was He convinced? Absolutely. It enlightens our mind to the knowledge of Christ. All of a sudden, He knew who this guy was next to Him on the cross. It renews our wills. He knew what he had to do. 
and so persuades us and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ as freely offered to us in the gospel. This is what the Spirit of God does in us through faith. When we are enlightened, renewed, persuaded, enabled to love God. We were just hurling insults at Jesus. And now we can love him. Wow. Amen. That's amazing grace. This is an incredible scene. I mean, there's Jesus. And on one side, the criminals mocking him. And on the other side, a man is raised to life. At this part point, we can really see what's going on in this other criminal's heart. He admitted his own guilt, didn't he? In fact, he even admitted that he and his partner deserved the cross. The criminal confesses to Jesus. He compares his sin to the innocence of Christ. And we might ask, why did he repent? I mean, what happened all of a sudden to this man? Right? Sometimes we kind of want to analyze it. What's going on? It's very possible that it was the fear of God. Remember in verse 40, remember what he says? He's like speaking over Jesus to the guy on the other side of Jesus. He says in verse 40, do you not even fear God? So we know he's thinking about the fear of God. See, this criminal recognized that Jesus is God. And due to the fact that he feared God, You might remember from Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I think he knew he was in the hands of the living God. And so this criminal, he was broken, he was crushed in spirit. He realized that he was talking to the Son of God. Now, now, raises another question. How did he know about Jesus? Why Why didn't he just think he was another criminal? Well, perhaps he heard Jesus pray. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, that's got to be a pretty incredible statement from somebody hanging on the cross next to you to say, that guy just prayed for me? That's odd. Perhaps he saw how Jesus was responding with trusting in God, even on the cross. And perhaps, and very likely, he had heard about Jesus. It's very likely most people had heard about Jesus during this time, particularly in the city. But ultimately, we know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit of God working in this criminal's heart. So the penitent robber, he rebuked his partner, he confessed his sin, and he declared Jesus as the one who could save him. And then he does one very important thing. He asks a question. I I don't know what it would be like hanging on a cross, but as I understand, it would probably be difficult to talk. I mean, you're certainly in a lot of pain. I'm sure parts of your body are absolutely numb from pain. But in verse 42, he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Why didn't he just say, Lord, save me? That's what probably we would have said, right? Well, for this criminal... As we said, he'd probably heard about Jesus. In fact, he'd probably heard about some of the things Jesus even said. We remember many times Jesus spoke about how many times the glorious return of his kingdom would come at the end of the age. Just one example in Matthew 6, 27. 
Jesus said, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So the criminal knew that this God-man next to him had a kingdom, and it was coming. But he knew he was not worthy of that place or that kingdom. So he just asked for Jesus to remember him. You, you remember, you remember uh, Joseph, cupbearer? Remember, what, what did he say? Just remember me. <laughs> Two years went by, he'd been forgotten. Jesus' answer is astounding in verse 43. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All the man had asked for was to be remembered, right? Just remember me. Not asking for anything. Jesus goes so much farther, doesn't he? Not only will I remember you, you will be with me in my presence today and forever. What did this man do to deserve this? He was a criminal and was rightly being judged for his crimes. And then all of a sudden, he gets to be in the immediate presence of Jesus eternally. Why? What, that's, that doesn't seem fair to us. It doesn't seem just. The man just asked to be remembered. But Jesus did so much more. Isn't, it, isn't this what Jesus does in our lives every day? Isn't this, I mean, here we are. Why are we even here listening to the word of God? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's our God, doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can even think or ask. That's exactly what he did for the criminal. He just wanted to be remembered. And that day, he was in the immediate presence of Christ in glory. Wow. That's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask. This man was granted eternal life to be with Jesus. But wait a minute. I have some questions. Hmm. He wasn't baptized, was he? This could be a problem. Did he formally profess his faith before the church? Hmm. Did he even faithfully attend church? I don't know about this. No, he didn't. He didn't get to do any of those things, did he? Because that's not how we're saved, is it, brothers and sisters? We are saved alone by the grace of God through faith. And that's all. All these other things that we get to do are blessings of the grace of God. Blessings of the new life we have in Christ. Like attending church and being baptized, these flow out of faith. These come from a life redeemed. It's a great benefit of the blessing of the life God's given us. This criminal was in Jesus with was in was with Jesus in paradise that very day because he confessed his sins. He repented towards God and he had faith in Christ. And that is why and only why 
And this criminal, who was about to be crucified, and he was crucified physically, and he was about to enter eternal condemnation from God, was rescued by the grace of God. And, and I really appreciate how the Puritan commentator said this. This criminal, just when he was about ready to fall into the hands of Satan, was snatched as a brand out of the burning fire and made a monument of divine mercy and grace, and Satan was left to roar as a lion disappointed at his prey. See, he was just rescued by God. Jesus turned to Satan and said, No, he's mine. You cannot have him. So Jesus, in the very midst of doing his Satan-destroying work, while being crucified there, killing the power of sin and death, he brings a further trophy of his victory, this criminal. And again, according to this quote, he shoves it in the devil's face, (laughs) declaring this criminal righteous, He will dwell with me in paradise. Jesus powerfully proclaims the power of the gospel and the work that he came to do right there on the cross to set men free from the bondage of sin and death by his atoning sacrifice. Jesus, crucified in weakness, conquered Satan and triumphed victoriously. This is the wonderful grace of Jesus so powerful to overcome sin and raise us to life according to nothing that we've done. And so, as a closing application, I'd like to consider this grace of God this evening. The powerful grace of God that has saved us. He forgave us. He's given us salvation. Remove the condemnation and the wrath of God against us so that we can eternally live with Him. But what's amazing is that the wonderful grace of God did not just happen back then at Calvary 2,000 years ago, did it? It continues every day in our life. So we must depend upon the grace of God. We must lean upon the grace of God. We must speak of the grace of God. Just as Paul said to the church at Corinth, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And now all this that I do was not I, but the grace of God working in me. It's the grace of God that saved us and the grace of God that keeps saving us to, that we may persevere as the saints of God. Or as Hebrews 5 says, it's the grace of God that enables us to have f- full assurance till the end, that we don't become sluggish, but through faith we have patience to walk in the promises of God. It is not us, it's Him in us. It's His powerful grace active in our souls. This is why Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what you need, my grace. 
Grace is how God operates in the lives of believers. God gives more grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you see that in your life? We live by the grace of God. Isn't it wise of God to bring us trials? So that we would be broken vessels for Him. So that we would walk with a limp. So that we would know what it is to hurt like others. So that this world will fade away. So that our faith will grow strong. So that we would be humble and more Christ-like. So that we grow to be more and more dependent upon His grace. And that's And that is it, the grace of God within us that will enable us to wake up tomorrow, Monday, and take a step of faith in what He's called us to do. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So may we trust in that. May we receive the grace of God. Lean into the grace of our God. Because that's where the power lies. It's not in our strength. It's in Him. The criminal on the cross next to Jesus, he received the grace of God. Enabling him to believe in the Son of God and then be with Him that very day in paradise. So as Paul exhorted Timothy May we all be strong in the grace. Be strengthened in the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would be strong in the grace, that we would know that we would receive the grace of God, that we may live. Thank you for this incredible picture, this event that took place like no other event in history, and how Jesus triumphed over sin and death and also took the very gospel right there and carried it out with the criminal next to him. Oh, Father, we thank you for this grace. Help us to trust in you. Lean into your grace. Consider it every day as you propel us forward and forward in faith. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.